First uh, John and see what John has for us uh, this week. So, how many of you feel confident about things? That's really the trick in life, isn't it? I mean, finding confidence to be able to say, okay, we can, we can do this. You know, most of the time we start things, we're like, I don't know how it's going to work, but we'll try. And, and we kind of get doubts or maybe we're hesitant about things. Well, you know, God wants us to have confident faith. And, I mean, he wants us to have full confidence in our faith in him. Now, he doesn't condemn us for doubts, for weaknesses, but it is his will that we would be confident. He doesn't want his children walking around in this world full of doubt, full of regret, full of remorse, uh, full of weakness. He wants us to be confident in him. And what happens is when we aren't confident in him, we are susceptible to false teachings. We are susceptible to going down that wrong path and... That's exactly what happened to John's readers. He's writing this letter because they had lost some of the confidence in their faith. And the false teachers kind of sprang to action and started teaching them different doctrine, teaching them things that weren't in accordance with what they had already learned. And it caused all kinds of troubles where if they had simply remained faithful to what they knew from the beginning and been confident that they had the truth, they would have avoided a lot of heartache and a lot of struggle. And so today we're going to look at what does it mean to have confident faith. It may not be exactly what you think it is, but it is a blessing. And so look with me in 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 19. And he says, by this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Now, one of the things that we can just grab from this immediately is that we know in our faith that truth is the foundation. Truth is the foundation. Now, the foundation is everything, isn't it? You build a house with a faulty foundation, what's going to happen? It's going to fall. They're going to have problems. Jesus said, he who hears my words and puts them into practice is like a man who built his house on the rock. The winds came, the waters came, and it stood because the foundation was strong. This is something we all just, if you want to be confident in your faith, we have to grab hold of and never let go. This is an anchor for the soul is that we know the truth. Now, I didn't say we knew all truth. Okay? There's always going to be aspects of our faith we're not going to understand. There's always going to be a mystery to it. I mean, think we're thinking about the, the immortal 
eternal God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-wise, omnipresent. I mean, we are, clearly our mind at some point is going to break down in trying to comprehend it. We're not going to be able to understand certain aspects, and that's a good thing. We need to have that kind of mystery and awe regarding God. If you can understand everything about God, then you're God, and you're not God. And so we, we, I didn't say we know all truth, but we will know the truth. We will know the truth that one will set us free and truth that will never change for all eternity. You know that no other faith belief system in the world, no other religion can claim this kind of unchanging truth that will be there for all of eternity. So when people are like, oh, Christians say they have a, a monopoly on, on, on this. And they say, yeah, we do. We know the truth. I won't back away from that one. We do have a monopoly on the truth. No, I don't know everything. You don't know everything. We don't know everything that could be known. But I do know the truth. And that is that God created this world. That Jesus Christ is his only son. That Jesus came and gave his life for us on the cross. That he was raised again on the third day. And he's coming back one day to judge the living and the dead. He will be Lord for all eternity. That story will never change. When everything else recedes into the background and fades away and is destroyed, it's the truth that will remain. Now, Christian, you need to rejoice over this because you know the truth. You can know it. Listen again to what he says in verses 19 and 20. He says, by this... We shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. Isn't that a great statement? What else in this world can you know for certain and reassure your heart with? Can we know, are we guaranteed tomorrow? No, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Jesus even said that. He said, don't worry about tomorrow. You don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Today has enough troubles of its own. We can't know anything else but this truth we can know and be assured of that it is never changing. And there are two great promises in this verse that we can return to over and over and over in life. Okay, John's readers were sent into a state of doubt through false teachers and we too will face moments of doubt. Who in here has ever had a doubt? And I don't mean just doubt, like I don't know how life's going to work out, but like, God, where are you? God, why? How many of you have asked God why so many times that you've decided, I'm just not asking anymore? (laughs) He's got to be tired of it. (laughs) And we have these moments of doubt. And you know, God does not condemn us for those moments. Satan is the accuser. So if somebody comes to you and they're like, well, if you have doubt, that's not faith. No. Getting through the doubt is a part of faith. Now, we can't live there. Don't just live in your doubts, but don't pretend that they're not there either. If you pretend they're not there, you're just not being honest because we all have these moments of doubt. But what is it that we reassure our hearts with when we face those doubts? Well, one, that we can know we are of the truth. Notice we said, by this we shall know that we are of the truth. We can know it. 
We can understand it. We can perceive it. We can recognize it. And we can live within it. We can know that we are a part of the truth that is the foundation of the world, of the new world, of heaven and of earth. We can know that it is solid and it is unchanging. And so when we face doubt, we may say, you know, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I do know how this is going to work out. And I don't draw my hope from what's going to happen tomorrow. I'm going to draw my hope from what's going to be true for all eternity, forever. We can know that we are of the truth. What else in the world can we know with that absolute certainty? We literally cannot know anything else with that kind of certainty. But the truth that is from God and that is God will last for all eternity. It will stand every test that is thrown at it. It will withstand every storm that comes. It will withstand every doubt that you have. If we will just use it as an anchor for the soul. And he says, we can know that we are of the truth. And he says, and reassure our heart before him. We can reassure our heart before God. Have you ever needed reassurance? You ever felt bad? You know, you're just like, "Ah, I don't know. And somebody comes along like, no, you got this. Come on, you can do this. You're like, I don't know. And then they're like, no, you can. And they reassure you and they, they build you up. And suddenly you find some new courage, some new strength, some new confidence. And, and you go in and it, and it works out. And you look back to him and you go to that person and you're like, thank you for, for the encouragement. I was feeling down and you, you spoke something into me that lifted me up and, and enabled me to push through. Notice what he says here. He says, we can reassure our own heart. <coughs> Isn't that an amazing promise? We can reassure our own hearts before God. That's an awesome sound. <laughs> We can reassure our own hearts before God. So when we start to feel doubt, when the world seems to get dark, when all of this starts to happen, we can go before God and say, God, I know you're true. I know you're good. I know you are powerful. I know these things about you. And while I don't understand this, I can know who you are. And that's where I'm going to rest. Heart, as the psalm says, why, O heart, are you weak within me? Why? We serve a great God, and we don't have to faint in fear. When we doubt the foundation, that's when we slip. When we start looking for something else other than the foundation we've been given, that's when we fall. The foundation will never give away. And so, this is the grace that God has given us. See, God knows we're weak. He knows we're going to be prone to wander. What's the old hymn? Prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. He knows that that's who we are. But he also knows that he has given us an anchor, that he has given us a foundation that is immovable. And he's saying, if you will just return to that over and over, just keep going to that well, you will never run out of what you need. You will never run out. One, the, the song you heard on the video was one of the kind of the theme songs for the camp that we had. And the lyrics in it say, you know, it's from the perspective of the youth, but it says, me and my best friends are sick of pretending. We want the truth. 
And, and the whole thing talks about, you know, not being uh, or people being so influenced by like social media and the next high. And they say, you know, the high never lasts. Who, who in here has learned that? The high never lasts. No matter what it is, it could be the greatest day of your life, right? Sun still sets, still comes up the next day, and it doesn't last. But this, the gospel, the foundation of Jesus Christ, it lasts. God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You have an assurance with him that will carry you through everything in life. And so God knows our hearts and our flesh are weak. And you know what? He saved us anyway. Because our salvation is not based on us. I'm telling you, the moment you really, really get that deep inside is a moment of freedom. Amen? Who in here knows that? You've experienced that freedom. That moment you realize, like, God isn't keeping a scorecard on me. And it's not waiting to see if I get to heaven to see if I did more good than bad. When you really grasp that salvation is about what Jesus did for you, and you aren't adding to perfection. His life was perfect. His, his sacrifice was perfect. His resurrection was perfect. And you know what? You're adding nothing to that. He did it all for you and when we realize that there is a genuine moment of freedom of like I'm off the hook and it has the opposite effect you see if you're thinking about that through a sinful mind you're thinking I'm off the hook okay so I can do whatever I want but when you look at it through eyes of faith and grace you say I'm off the hook I'm free to live for God and whether I fail or succeed it's okay I am free to walk with him, and he's not holding my failures against me. And we are grateful, and we live for him then in, in untold ways. And so, he says, when our heart condemns us, we can reassure ourselves before God. Think of that. It says, we, we are truth and we reassure our heart before him for whenever our heart condemns us it says God is greater than our heart and he knows everything see when our heart condemns us what is it that's happening when our heart condemns us we're looking at us we're looking at this world we're looking at our failures but God knows everything and what does he know chief of all that Christ died for our sins, that he has forgotten our sins, that he has separated us from our sins as far as the east is from the west. He knows all of that. And so when our heart condemns us and we're like, God, I just don't know about this. God goes, oh, I do. I do. I know. And it's okay. I got you. I got you. I know that you're just thinking this right now because this happened and this happened and then you didn't sleep well and now you're in a weak spot and I know this, so your heart is condemning you, but you know what? Your heart doesn't have the final say. The sacrifice of Jesus has the final say. The lordship of Jesus that lasts for all eternity has the final say. And so what John is doing right here is he's... he's He's genuinely trying to lift these people back up now after they've fallen and they've gotten so confused and they've been hurt and everything else. He's pulling them up and he's saying, look, you have a foundation that never went away. You may have slipped, but God didn't. You may have let go. God held on. 
And he says, remember that. Reassure your heart. Because let me tell you what's the most reassuring thing that our heart can ever hear. Okay, this is the, to reassure. So we, we have the surety of salvation. We've accepted Christ. Then we doubt what reassures us after that. Romans 8, 1 through 4. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. We have no condemnation. I hope that you are excited about that as I am. When our heart condemns us, when our heart is looking and saying, you are a failure, you've messed up, you always mess up, why do you keep messing up? Stop messing up. God says, hey, I'm not condemning you. You are. And he says, read my word. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Say it with me. No condemnation. Now, what is condemnation? Condemnation is when you're guilty forever. And he says, no, I'm not condemning you in your sin. That's gone. Your sin is gone. Now, will he convict us of our sin? Oh, absolutely. He's a loving father. And if he needs to thump you in the head, he will. How many of you had church growing up like that? Your parents sit behind you and got to talking too much? My dad would turn his ring over. Yeah, he'll convict us of our sin. But that does not mean he condemns us for our sin. He convicts us because he doesn't condemn us, because he's pulling us out of it, because he is sanctifying us and making us more like him. But we are not condemned. And when we understand that our salvation is not about us, but about what Jesus did for us, and that we are not condemned, even though our own heart condemns us, we are not condemned by God because we are in Christ Jesus. We can have confidence in Christ. And I mean confidence. Okay? What is confidence? Well, in this sense, it can also mean boldness. What is boldness? Well, Listen again here in verse 21 and 22. He says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. So if we know we are forgiven, accepted, and serving the great king, then we will be bold in our request within that service. Within that life he has given us, we will want to live every bit of it that we can. And we'll be bold saying, God, I want more. Everybody in scripture has done this in some way. If you really pay attention to people who walk closely with God, they are always saying, I want more. Give me more. You have Moses saying, God, I want to see you. And he goes, hey, you can't. You'll die. And what is Moses? He's like, oh, okay, you're right, God. I should stop asking. What did he do? He said, I don't care. I want to see you. 
God's like, you'll die, Moses. He's like, I don't care. I want to see you. Now, how different would our life be if those were the arguments we were having with God rather than condemning ourselves and arguing with God about whether or not we're worthy? Moses knew he wasn't worthy, but he didn't care. He knew he was accepted, and he got bold in the presence of God. Now, was this arrogance? No. We're going to talk about the difference in a moment. But he was bold, and finally God said, okay, I'll tell you what. I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. I'll pass by, and you can see what's left. He said, fair enough. Did it? You know, he's glowing after that. You see, we can be bold with God because we understand we're not condemned. Because we are accepted. Because we are building our lives and anchored to the truth in such a way that we know it's not leaving. So we can be bold within that, that I want more. You see, as we serve the kingdom, we become people of the kingdom. And our desires change. Our prayers change. Our prayers, our desires, our lives will come more and more into alignment with the desires of God. And the more we come into alignment with the desires of God, the bolder we're going to get about wanting more of God. And we will get bolder and bolder. We'll pray not just for His will, but we'll pray that we can overcome mountains, that we can tear down strongholds, that we can see God glorified in amazing ways. And our lives... We'll back it up. The caution here, and this is always a caution. When we start talking about confidence and boldness before God, we, we as sinful people, for some reason, maybe it's just me, and so I'm preaching to myself right now, but we, we kind of turn it into entitlement and arrogance. God, you said, like we're telling God what to do, and it's a good thing there's no condemnation. For those in Christ Jesus at that moment, because we kind of forget our place. So the caution here is that we don't see God as a means to an end, but as the end himself. We seek God, not just the benefits of God, not just the power of God. We seek God. And what did Jesus say? Seek first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. We get that out of order a lot of times. We want to seek the things and say, God, you said you would provide. You, you, you said, and he's like, I read what I said. I said, seek first the kingdom of heaven. Seek first God and his righteousness. Then this will work out. And so the author of Hebrews kind of tells us the exact same thing, but there's a little bit different twist on this. He says, let us then with confidence, that same word confidence meaning boldness, Draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That sure doesn't sound like health and wealth to me and arrogance of demanding God, you know, give me what I want. What does he say? He says, find grace and help for time of need. Which means our posture before God is one of utter and complete dependence all the time. Our boldness, our confidence is in that our God loves us and is going to provide what we need, not to go get what we want. And there is a huge difference in this. You see, I want us to think about this, this verse a, a little differently. Confidence before God is not entitlement or arrogance. Boldness before God is not entitlement or arrogance. It is not demanding our own way. In fact, we're supposed to love God 
And love, we learn in 1 Corinthians 13, does not demand its own way. So we have to think about what John and the author of Hebrews are saying when they talk about having confidence before God. And as I said, this confidence is also known as boldness. And you know who is genuinely bold? A child. Aren't they? A child that desperately wants their parent is about as bold a human being as you're going to get. Right? Because they're not going to stop till they get them. And I will never forget uh, a worship leader one time. He was, he was new to the church. <clears throat> so he's new. And he's leading worship for literally maybe the third or fourth time. I mean, it's, it's very early in, in his time at this church. And they're in a new church or in a new place. And he had several children. And so one of his children escaped from the nursery. Some of our nursery workers know exactly what I'm talking about. we got a runner, you know. So, But he knew where he had last seen dad. And so he's up playing his guitar, singing, and suddenly that boy comes through the door and makes a beeline and straight up the altar, up there, up on stage, and grabs him. That's boldness. He didn't care what anybody else said. He didn't care what anybody else was doing. He didn't care what his dad was doing. He just knew, I'm safe with dad, and that's where I want to be. I don't know these people. I don't know this place. I don't know what's going on. But I know it's okay if I get to him. And he wasn't going to let anything stop him. And I remember in that moment, he ran up and grabbed him. And I see the nurse worker come in, you know. And they're like, oh, no. You know, our worst nightmare has come true. The children have invaded worship and they're on the stage, you know. And the worship leader just reached down and picked him up, stopped playing guitar, kept singing, and just had him there. And then after it was finished, he, he had the greatest rescue of a worship leader in history. He's like, you know, this is what Abba Father means. This is what we do in worship when we're holding our hands up. We're saying, Abba Father, God, Daddy, take me. I am, want you. Friends, that is the boldness and the confidence that we should have before God. Not arrogance to get stuff or, or to be focused on this world, but to be saying, this is my God who loves me, who created me, and I'm not stopping until I am with him. That's boldness. And that is a prayer that God will never turn away. That is something that God will honor every time we come to him. That's the boldness we're supposed to have in the confidence that when our heart condemns us, when we start thinking about everything that's gone wrong and everything that's not happening and everything we, you know, dreams that are slipping away or, or, or whatever, and the, the world is in such turmoil and chaos and we just start to feel overwhelmed and then the accuser comes in and says, and you know what, you're no better. And we start to condemn ourselves and our heart starts to condemn us that we just say, Abba, Father, and we just go to our God who loves us and say, you know what? I don't know what's going on. My heart's condemning me, but I know you sent your son to die for me, and I am banking on that. And John says we can reassure our hearts in this. And then he says what? He says, and if our hearts don't condemn us, we have this confidence. 
You see, if, if we are ashamed of who we are and our hearts condemn us, then we're not going to just boldly enter the throne room. We're going to be sheepishly entering the throne room. In fact, we may not enter the throne room because we think, well, I've blown it. And so what John is telling us is that, look, when we don't want to enter the throne room because we're afraid we've blown it, he says, reassure your heart. There's no condemnation for you. Reassure your heart. Jesus died for you. You belong in there. Go in there and get what you need from God. Because he says, if our hearts don't condemn us and we boldly go before God, he says, we get what we ask. Now, what is it we're asking? If we've become like a small child, we're just asking for dad. We're just asking for the the father to love us and and to reassure us and to help us through. And he says, oh, yeah, we'll get whatever we ask for. See, that is the difference in entering the throne room confidently and boldly or entering it arrogantly. Entering it arrogantly is I'm coming to get stuff from you. Entering confidently and boldly is I'm coming because I need Which one do we do? See, this is where we can have such confidence in Christ about our faith. But our faith has to be pointed in the right direction. And this is honestly what we're going to get into when we do our Galatian study. Is I fear that it's worse in our world right now and in our churches than we understand that we have started to believe a false gospel And Paul says, if I or an angel of heaven or anyone preaches you another gospel, let him be accursed. And if we have made the gospel about self-improvement, about quality of life improvement in this world, then it is a false gospel and we are bringing curses on ourselves by following it. We have to focus on the truth. We have to focus on what God has genuinely done. What is the point of our faith? Jesus did not die on the cross so that we can get the job that we want. Jesus died on the cross so that we who were dead in sins can be made alive and live forever with him in eternity. That is the core of our faith and it will never change. But if we turn it into something else, all we are doing is bringing a curse on ourselves. And we won't be able to reassure our hearts before him. If we are believing a false gospel, then we won't be able to reassure our hearts before him. And you know how I know this is happening in our country? Look at the anxiety rates in our world, even within the church. What is anxiety except for not being able to reassure your own heart and say, everything's okay. I'm going to be okay. You know what? If we've set our faith on the things of this world, I can't say it's going to be okay. I can't. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. If my faith is in what's happening in this world, then I'm going to be an anxious mess. I'm not going to have confidence. I'm not going to be loved. I'm going to be panicked all the time about what's happening. And you see that in our world. And that is not the life that God wants us to have. But the path to peace is not getting everything you want. The path to peace is dying to self and putting your faith in Jesus Christ who died for you. 
and boldly coming into the throne room of grace as a child who needs their daddy. Jesus said, you must become like one of these little children to be my disciple. And I genuinely believe that's what this means. We must be dependent upon him for all things and not set our hope in this world, but we have to look, learn to look to the Spirit of God. We have to learn to look to the Spirit because John now enters a new realm. He's introducing a new theme that he's going to continue on now, and that is the presence of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. Listen to what he says in verse 23. He says, And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. We know we are abiding in God when we love and obey. We know we are abiding in him. We are walking in faith when we love and obey. And I love, he, he, he gets there here. He's been talking about obedience. He's been talking about love kind of over and over and over and here he just kind of lays down the card of like, here's, here, let me make this as simple as I can for you. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Did he give us a list of all the things we need to accomplish in order to obey God? What did he give us? He gave us two things. Believe in Jesus and love other people. Man, could that be any more simple? And so if, if your faith or my faith gets caught up in the things of this world, we're not looking to the Spirit, we're not looking to the Gospel, we're looking to the things of this world, then we're going to need all kinds of 19 and 27-step programs to get to where we need to be. Now, not that there's anything wrong with those in and of themselves, but if we're looking for eternal peace out of those things, they will never provide it. Ever. If we're looking for this life to be devoid of struggle, it's not going to happen. Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. It, it's going to happen. So we have to find a place where our hope is secure, and that is in the unchanging nature of God and what he has done in the gospel of Jesus Christ for us. And we place our hope there. We learn to listen to the leading of the Spirit who will now guide us and comfort us and counsel us through the rest of this life. So he says, we know we're walking in faith when we love and obey. We know God is with us by the spirit he has given us. We know God is with us because we have his Holy Spirit. Listen, the spirit is absolutely the difference maker for a Christian. It is not your intellect. It is not your church. It is not your family. It is not your own willpower. It is not your own desire. It is the presence of the Holy Spirit. The only thing that differentiates at its core between an unbeliever and a believer, one who was born again and one who was not, is the fact that the Holy Spirit is present. That's it. Now, it's the greatest difference that could ever be. Because it's the third person of the Godhead. God himself has set up residence within you. You yourself become a temple of the Holy Spirit. 
And when I say a temple, go back to the Old Testament. Think, holy of holies, the Spirit's on the one side, we're on the other. We're separated. We can't go in. But then when Jesus dies, the temple veil is torn in two, and the Spirit, 50 days later, descends like tongues of fire upon the church, and the church is born. And every person, when we are born again, receives the Holy Spirit. Don't let somebody tell you that there's some kind of second, you know, you can get saved but not receive the Spirit. That is not true. And I can tell you it's not true from right here, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. It says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So if somebody says you can get saved and not receive the Holy Spirit, they need to take it up with Paul in Ephesians. Because he says, the moment you believed, when you heard the gospel of your salvation, and you believed it, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Sealed. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory? The guarantee of our inheritance. The guarantee. There's that word again of, of something we can know that is solid, that is rock solid, that cannot be moved. He says, you know it because you've received the Holy Spirit of God and that will not change. God himself in his spirit, the third person of the Godhead, has come to live inside of you. That's how God knows the difference between those who are literally of him and those who are not because his mark, his presence is with his people. And he says this is how we know God abides in us. We know we're abiding in God by our behavior, by our love and our faith in Jesus. That's how we know we're walking with God is because this happens. But we know God abides in us because of the spirit he's given us. Now, I keep emphasizing that because somewhere in the mix of all that, our heart condemns us. We lose sight of things, and we start to doubt it. And then we're like, God, are you even there? And he says, oh, yeah, I'm here. I, I live inside of you. I've been with you the whole time. And your actions may have started. You're, you're not abiding so much right now. You're, you're in the flesh. You're rebelling, but I am still with you. And so, he tells us that we were sealed. Like, the, the seal was the, this is it. This is the guarantee this is going to happen. And so, there's an order here that's important when it comes to reassuring our heart. Okay? And it goes like this. Believe and receive the Spirit. Our faith must be in Jesus and Jesus alone. He alone is Lord. There is one God. We cannot get that twisted. We must put our faith in Jesus alone. Learn the truth of the new life. We, we have to. I mean, that's, that's what we have up here. It's, where is it? You know, become a student of, of Scripture and prayer. We have to learn the truth of the new life. We have to learn what God has done for us. Three, then obey the commands of God. What is the command? Faith in Jesus and love for each other. Don't overcomplicate it. And then, number four, as you do that, number four, See the power of God active in your life. And you know how you see it most of the time? 
because you continue to obey, you continue to walk, you continue to, to do these things, and then God says, hey, stop for a moment. You stop, and he says, look back. And you look back, and you go, oh, wow, look at everything God did. Look at all that. And it is. It's like looking back, and suddenly it comes into view. And you're like, wow. And so when our heart condemns us, instead of saying, God, I need to know how all of this is going to work out, what do we do? We look back and say, wow, look at how God has worked everything out. Pretty sure he's going to do it again. Pretty sure if he's gotten all of this right, and not just our life, but looking at the cross, looking at history, at how God has, has borne the church and everything he's done, and we say, wow, God hasn't lost yet, I'm pretty sure he can handle what's here. That's how we have confident faith. Is we trust God to handle everything. And we just walk with him peace. Walk with him in faith and trust. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the time you've given us today. God, I pray that you would just help us to be confident, God. To have that boldness, to enter into the throne room of grace. God, knowing that you will receive us, God. Not to go in to to get something, but to go in to be with you. To know you and you alone. We would open our arms as a child running to a a loving father, knowing that you are the answer, that you are there, that you are the one that will make things right. And God, where our hearts do condemn us, God, where we need reassurance, God, we pray for your grace. God, that we would stop looking at ourselves or our situation. We would reassure our hearts in you by listening to your voice, by trusting in your love, by looking to you and you alone. Help us to be confident, God. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.